Hello and welcome to the Cop and Ball podcast. Uh, we can look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Might have to be a jog today uh, because if this was the Titanic, the only two mugs that would be left on that ship would be me and Jules. And here we are. Uh, hi, Jules. You all right, buddy? How you doing? Yeah, good. Glad to see everybody else can be bothered to turn up. So, uh... well, the good the good thing is is we we can have a nice civilized discussion and talk about all the satirical points of football without Ash shouting about whether it was a pen and without Fen just throwing in the odd the odd joke, the odd pun from the sidelines. So in a yeah. way, <laughs> fuck him. <'em. laughs> yeah. um, that's my Fen impression. <laughs> that was that was quite deep. Are we allowed to put that out? <laughs> Love you, fan. <laughs> We're also trying some new audio recording um, software, so hopefully we might sound a bit better than we normally do, but let's see. How are you, Jules? How's life? Life's not too bad. Um, the only downside at the moment is I found out that I've torn my ACL, um, so no football for me for quite a few months, um, which admittedly I'm a pretty poor footballer. But it is quite a big part of my life. So sad times, um, particularly when it's like you see on all the professionals, they're back in like nine months, but they've got you know the world's best rehab centres and the best surgeons in the world. And I'm like, not so sure that Hampstead <laughs> Heath has got the same level of facilities, but we'll give it a go. We'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want to really be checking out the facilities at Hampstead Heath, to be honest. I don't think it's massages that tend to happen in those. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> You're, you're meant to be the one who keeps us on the straight and narrow on this pod. Where how are we going in this direction? Right, let's yeah, perfectly safe, legal. Safe, so how did safe, you? Uh, yeah, how, how did it, you? Uh, how did you do that? Uh, just playing football, and it was. Um, you know how? I know. Whenever there's a match on a 4G pitch, all the professional players are like, "Our oh, 4G pitches are rubbish," and every amateur is like, "No, they're absolutely fine." Um, turns out 4G pitches are the way to, to, to dislocate your knee or to tear your ACL. Um, and they're all right. And they, they know a lot more than me. Um, so now, nah, just football. But it will be all right. Yeah. It, it is what it is. It gives me more excuse to, to watch games and to have lovely weekends with many beers. So can't <laughs> complain. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we have both just, um, speaking of lovely football, been watching the, um, the League Cup final. Delayed, um, delayed recording for fifteen minutes while I just stop myself from laughing. Uh, <laughs> give me oh. the confidence of a manager that brings on a keeper in the hundred and nineteenth minute, who then goes on to miss all eleven penalties and miss he... the one that he took. <laughs> I, I think though, yeah, defi- defining moment. I mean, for a start, fantastic shithousery, and I'm just here for the for the absolutely ludicrous decision because I would never do that. Like, even if you got a keeper who's statistically better or something at pens, like, like Mendy had had an amazing game. He had done yeah. so well, and he's and he's in the flow of the game. Like, I don't know. I, I just I place a yeah, lot of value on that. Like, um, but but the funny thing for me, did you see? So it was the second pen was uh, Fabinho, um, and he just penenkered it straight down the middle. Yeah, and I just thought. Kepa Absolutely didn't. I didn't, but he's also Kepa spent the last like forty-five minutes in a dressing room somewhere listening to like "I'm the Man" by a Low Black or something like that, <laughs> and trying to get himself, you know, in the hyped up. And he's just had his pants pulled down. And I just think from that moment on, it was always I don't know. Kepa didn't look quite right. Um, no, and like a bit uh, of twat. So, and then there was another one. Was it? Um... 
I can't remember whether it was Harvey Elliott or Canates. It was one of the last ones that he Canates. got a hand to it, and he really should have saved it. And you could yeah. see him look behind to thinking, he's like, is that gone over? The, have, I, have I tipped that over the bar? Nope. No, you just no, just helped it on its no. way into the back of your net, mate. Um, so that's sad for him. Um, good for the world, because, you know, fuck Russia. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, no, that was a good game. Um, and as you can tell, I'm trying to put off talking about Spurs, because, you know, good football. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we are a Spurs pod. Um, so just to take it back a bit, I don't know whether to feel smug, vindicated... Or, like, just quite sad. Because in the last pod, which you weren't here for, Jules, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but... I have indeed. Uh, uh, all three of us, sort of jokingly... I mean, we all none of us backed ourselves. We all said that Spurs would beat Burnley. Um, but at different phases, we all said different things. So, Ash opened with uh, with a line... Uh, that um, it would, you know, we'd, we'd talk about City and how good that was, and then we'd be laughing on the other side of our faces when Spurs went to uh, to Turf Moor and lost. Um, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine how Spursy that would be. Um, and then a bit later, I made the case that I thought it was a bad time to be playing Burnley because they're in their annual get themselves Resurgence. out of relegation. Yeah, February mm. and March, where they're suddenly the best team in the country, results-wise. Uh, and Fenn was like, no, 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 they'll be overconfident, they'll be grand, they'll be grand, they, you know, Spurs will do them because they'll be, they'll be sky high, they'll leave gaps. Um, and then we had a separate conversation about how Spurs struggle to beat teams that don't play out very well and sit back, defend deep, have a low block uh, and basically keep their shape. And we had a, a conversation from that about how Spurs need to be braver. Mm. playing between the lines and having a little bit more about them when not everything is going to plan. Anyway, mm. off we pop, finish the pod, everything's good. 14 people listen to it. No, it's more than that, I kid. But it was all good. <laughs> and then we get to Wednesday night. It's cold, it's raining, as it always is in Burnley at this time of year. And Burnley win 1-0. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was surprised. I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> It just felt to me like, as soon as I saw the conditions, I just thought, that's not going to be a fun game of football to be involved mm. with. Night, night, Veghorst is big enough as it is. Like, mm. like, you don't need the conditions going against you and it just turning into a nice game, a sort of like Sunday league, but at elite level. Um, and they, they did exactly what they always do. And I don't think we responded to it very well. Mm. I, think, I think there's, although I, as always, sadly for Spurs at the moment, I think we we let them win more than actually they went out and sort of grabbed it from us. I think it, our, our yeah. performances just are so unequal. It'll be a four out of 10 one week and a nine out of 10 the next. And mm. you, you are going to have inconsistent results if you aren't consistent on the pitch. There were a few key moments as well, weren't there? There were some opportunities. Um, Kane had a couple. I think Kulosevsky had a decent chance. Was it Kulosevsky that hit the post? Mm. Um, yeah. There was a few where you think, hmm, it's one of those. It's a bit like, a bit like the League Cup final today, actually. On another day, three or four mm. goals that could have happened that didn't happen. It's that classic counterfactual in football, isn't it? That if you know, if the goal was a, an inch wider or somebody's <laughs> touch had been just slightly a little bit better, you'd be talking about a different game, but we're not. And it just interests me. I mean, there's a lot of talk about 
the conditions in particular, it was it was a really horrible night. Mm. And it used to be it used to be Stoke that we said that about, wasn't it? There was, there used to be yeah. That. Can't do it on a cold, rainy night in Stoke, and now it's sort of Burnley, and it's. I'm not sure it is about the conditions. I think the conditions become a self-fulfilling prophecy because, frankly, you can have horrible, cold, rainy nights at Stamford Bridge. It's not unique to Burnley, but there's no, this no, thing. Right. <laughs> that when you when you add those conditions to a team that aren't nice to play against because they are so well drilled that they don't give you time on the ball. And they keep their shape really well and don't break lines at all. Mm. The two together just make it a really unpleasant experience. Is that something that speaks to what the rest of us were talking about last week, about Spurs being a little bit luxury in the way that they play sometimes? Yes, because Spurs players want to play Champions League style football, even if they're not Champions League quality players. And I've quite often thought that some of them would do better if they actually recognised the limitations of their game and played in a, in a way which does the best thing for them. You know, I don't think Ben Davies would be being asked to play out from the back if he was at Burnley. You know, mm. Sean Dyche would, would say to him, no, hold your line, hit the channel, work off the big man. You know, you've got a nice left foot, but don't try and think that you're, you know, a fucking ball-playing centre-half because you're not. And that's, you know, it is a self-fulfilling factor. Um, but I also think we don't give this Burnley team in general in the league enough credit. Like they mm. are, they are a tough group of very well coached, athletic players who play quite a challenging brand of football. Which I don't think I almost can't think of another team. Is there another team in the Premier League which plays that almost abrasive a style, where they they throw the ball up like that and they they challenge in the air and they play in those that they're, they're so willing to like play play the same percentage balls repeatedly. I can't think of one. Uh, maybe there are a couple that try it. As a... Watford sometimes play a bit like that, but or they mm. try to, but they can't execute yeah. it because they're not good enough. No, whereas, exactly. Whereas Burnley have a game plan and usually execute. I mean, they're obviously Burnley having a really terrible season, so it sounds a bit of a silly thing to say, but normally they execute it really well. And I wonder mm. whether it is, you know, just going back to the weather again. I wonder whether it is because it it seems to be every season around about February time. <laughs> They get a grip and they put together, you know, a run of six wins in ten and stay up. Um, and I don't know I whether it's I... because. Uh, well, I was, I was going to say I don't know whether it's because it takes time. There are certain coaches that have uh, a rigid set of ideas or, or a, a way of playing that takes a lot of time to get players used to. And when they're used to it, it clicks. Like Roy Hodgson's a classic example of that. If he was, yeah, yeah. you know, if Watford had brought Roy Hodgson in 15 games ago instead of Ranieri, they would have stayed up this season, for example. Because what he does is get a bunch of players, tell them how to play in banks of four, and make them repeat it again and again and again and again until they can do it. Yeah, and I, and I think that it, it's a it's an effective style. And actually, Roy Hodgson's Fulham. Is probably the best example I can think of that Burnley style, where it was mm. Bobby Zamora and Clint Dempsey up front, which is exactly your sort of Veghurst and um, and not not Barnes. Well, Ashley Barnes, I guess, could be could be the sort yeah. of. Oh, I, I, Rodriguez. The most ins- well, yeah, but it's the most insulting thing to to the word ten to describe Ashley Barnes as a ten. Like I refuse <laughs> to I refuse to call I refuse to claim he's a ten because that just doesn't seem fair to the world of tens out there who are lovely, technical, gifted footballers who who make us marvel at, at what they can do with the ball. <laughs> but what I will say is they 
I think I remember listening to Sean Dyche on the um, the Peter Crouch podcast, and mm. he talked a lot about how he looks for people who are okay to work with on a Monday morning, even if you've lost three one. Because he said, you know, across a Premier League season, you're going to lose sometimes, and so long as you're not getting twatted, you know, mm. you've got you've got to be able to bounce back and go, we go again, lads. You know, we've got to have the right attitude. And he talks a lot about the psychological profile. I just think this Burnley team are a group of hardworking very dedicated footballers who know their level know their style mm. and on their day if you're not on it they're one of the best sorts of uh um tests in in the league because mm. you have to do your bit well otherwise they they're experts at turning their eight out of ten days into a one nil win yeah and it's worth saying as well you know we we touched on it last time and i think they were slightly underestimated but that's one defeat in seven for burnley um, mm. one in six, one in seven now because they got a point at Palace as well the other day. Um, they're in that little bit of a groove where, like you say, you've got to be absolutely on it. Now, it, this mm. is one of those annoying games that that wasn't um, televised, and n- none of us are quite committed enough to go up to Burnley on a Wednesday evening. <laughs> um, but from what you saw, was there anybody mm. for you that came out with any particular credit or criticism from that game? Um, not not particularly. I think I think Ben Davies looks really looked in looked in trouble. He looked in, he, he looked in danger. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I also think as a wide centre back, you know, Ben Davies is an average fullback being asked to tuck in just because he's left footed. And yeah. the worst thing in the world is to have a six foot six target man come and stand on your toes and say, "Let's hit diagonals this side, please." Mm. Um, so he he was targeted. Quite clearly, um, I, I thought. The other person who I was a bit disappointed with um, for the for the goal that Ben Mee scores, um, Kuti Romero, who mm-hmm. I love him as a centre back, and I love how how he's a very gifted. I just think he's a fantastic footballer. Like he's very good yeah. with the ball. And he's he's quick. He's, he's mobile. He's, he's technically very good, isn't he? Yeah. He's 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 excellent. But in that moment in time, I wished he he had just cleared the header. And it was mm. funny that he turned in a man of the match performance against City when they refused to kick the ball overhead height, but yeah. then struggled against a team who hit it almost exclusively overhead height. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it may, maybe it was an argument that was the day to put in Joe Rodon, you know, to put in Adams and Sanchez, and to put in some of the bigger lads. Yeah, well, that was that was my thought because when I saw the the lineup and I looked at it, and you know, and we'd obviously said on the pod that we all thought that Spurs would win, but. I think we all knew as well that there was every danger that this had 1-0 Burnley written all over it. Mm. And when I saw that lineup, I did think this is going to be 1-0 Burnley and it's going to be a back post header. Mm. And I thought it was going to be from a corner. As it happens, it was from a free <laughs> kick. But it's a, you weren't you know, far a, off. <laughs> a dead ball situation where they're going to loft the ball in at pace and at height and Spurs aren't going to deal with it. And... Yeah. We'll get onto it in a minute, but do, do we need to not necessarily criticise, but acknowledge that Conte perhaps didn't get this right tactically? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always of the opinion, to a certain extent, you know, he he has his plan, and he, you know, it's it, the manager gets to make the final call. That's also why the mm. manager gets sacked if it doesn't work out. Um, but I would have probably change things around but I think Conte is making a point and he's trying to drill what he sees as his first choice group into a style of play where I think next next season if we can keep him 
because he doesn't throw his toys out of the pram and we sign the players he wants, he'll just slot in the right three or four players to augment at that stage seven who understand the system. So I think, mm. did he make it, you know, it's always easy to criticise him. I might have gone with a couple of the bigger centre-halves just given the threat of Burnley from set pieces. But, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. He makes the mm. calls. And on this occasion, I'm not sure he got them all quite right. I mean, yeah, I, I agree, basically. There's no point. <laughs> yeah. There's no point. It is. It's one of those. It's one of those where if you, obviously, if you could run it again, you'd do it differently. But on a different day, you know, Early goal goes in, couple of those that hit the woodwork go in, Burnley heads drop and suddenly you've got a 3-0, thank you very much. And you mm. know what, if you concede from a set piece, so what, who cares? Um, not to be, but the thing that surpri- that did surprise me wasn't the defeat, I don't think that's that really will have surprised everyone, but the strength of feeling that came from Antonio Conte after the full-time whistle. Mm. Um I was listening to this on Talk Sport, which uh, is never advisable. Um, <laughs> f- frankly, they're just Sam Matterface is just the most annoying human on the planet. It feels like, well, no, he's not. I mean, he's not Vladimir Putin, but yeah. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> he's not. Um, he's 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 not. He's not our favourite. I think that's fair to say. He's just a bit too enthusiastic, isn't he? Um, mm. But he he sort of. I think he did his interview, and I think he tweeted about it before it was played on air, yeah. uh, where he said it sounds like Conte is throwing the towel in. And then you hear this interview where it, he's obviously very emotional and it's full of the sort of exaggeration and bombast that you expect of an emotional Italian man whose entire mm-hmm. shtick really is throwing his toys out of his pram until either he gets what he wants or he gets sacked or he quits. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I'm kind of interested in, in what you think about it because I, I listened to him and he, he's sort of saying, you know, the, 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 the line that really came out was, you know, this club changes its coach, but the players stay the same and the results stay the same. Yeah. And if the problem is the coach, then I've no problem leaving. You know, I'm obviously paraphrasing mm. him, but, but he was sort of suggesting... I think that he's walked into a situation that he didn't fully appreciate, doesn't think he's got the resources he needs to do the job he wants to do, hates yeah. losing, and doesn't think he will get the resources that he wants. But surely it would be a, a very naive man, which I don't think Antonio Conte is, to walk into no. Tottenham Hotspur and not expect that situation. Um, he's definitely not a naive man. And I think we we are very we were very happy to portray Mourinho as this Machiavellian, you know, evil genius who who knows every word. Don't think Antonio Conte doesn't know every word that's coming out of his mouth. This is a man who's who's bent Chelsea and Inter Milan around his little finger, you know, and mm. Juventus, which is not an easy <laughs> easy group of clubs to intimidate. <laughs> um, he's a you know he knows exactly what he's saying, and I think what he's doing is he's lining up the the position that if he doesn't get exactly what he wants in the summer he goes and people say well he was saying it from the start and the the challenge here is that he might say okay well I didn't fully appreciate how bad some of these players were but he came into a club that was eighth in the Premier League and wasn't doing well it it wasn't like there was suddenly going to be seven Champions League quality players just waiting in the wings like we don't have any wings 
if we were a fucking plane, we'd be wingless. We'd just be fucking, we'd be closer to a submarine in, in sort of style, but just It'd just be a blimp. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we're close, closer a to blimp, a blimp, but without the hydrogen. Exactly, a, a blimp slowly losing hydrogen on its way into the fucking mountain. Like, it's not a, it's not a winning look, but, you know, he knew what the situation was, and Toys Out the Pram, I don't think, is very helpful. Um, and I think what, what proves that to me is two things. Number one, I don't see any of Klopp, Guardiola, or Pochettino throwing their players under the bus. Mm. Like for me, in the last few years, the best coaches, even when Klopp had Dejan Lovren getting consistently exploited in his mm. backline, he'd be like, "He's a brilliant player. We need to protect him. You know, it, it's on us as a team. I won't, I won't stand here and criticize my player." Guardiola with Bakri Sanya and Kolarov as two slow fullbacks. It's on me as the coach how I ask them to play. It's not on the players. You know, yes, they then both respectively went out and bought better quality players. But but while they were there, they didn't chuck them under the bus. You know, what mm. what coaches chuck players under the bus? Basically, Mourinho does and Conte does. And that, for me, is not a good group. No, it's difficult to know what you expect, isn't it? Because the other thing to bear in mind is that the amount of resource that Conte will have in the summer is to some extent reflected in how this season ends. Uh, mm. And whether, whether it, first of all, whether there's Champions League football, which I would suggest is very unlikely. Agreed. And secondly, whether there's Europa League football, which is still very much on the agenda. Um, but if you are, it's, it's like the Newcastle paradox, isn't it? If you are a player mm. and you know, you know that you're not going to be there in the summer, you're perhaps thinking in your mind, not necessarily that you're going to throw the towel in, but that every tiny little thing you do is going to be analysed to the nth degree and you're going to be criticised and you're going to come in for all kinds of attention that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be the case. Yeah. Um, something that interested me that I, I didn't think of straight away, and it, it wasn't my idea, so I won't take the credit for it, but I saw somebody else on Twitter saying, Conte says the players stay the same. But that's not actually true. If you look at the 11 <laughs> that started that game, OK, there's a few, obviously. Luis, he doesn't mean Hugo Luis. He makes mistakes, no. but he's a good keeper. He doesn't mean Harry Kane, who had a decent game in, a, admittedly, a fairly average season for him. He doesn't mean, no. mean Son, who, again, had no. a decent game. So they're the only three players that have been there, really, in that starting 11 for any length of time. The others, right, you've got... Emerson Royale, Romero, Kulisevsky, Bentico, none of them were there, even no. under Marino. Sessignon was on loan last season. So uh, you've got Eric Dyer that, that he was saying a few weeks ago could be the best player in the world in his position. Obviously, that's man management at play, but he obviously rates him. So that leaves mm. Hoybier and Davis. Is he? Is that Conte's way of hanging it, out Hoybier yeah. and Davis to dry? Because I, it's a very weird way to do it, if it is. I, I, I think it would be much simpler just to say I really don't rate Ben Davies. And I've been yeah. saying I really don't rate Ben Davies <laughs> for quite a long time. But, but I think it's also, it's like, well, if you don't like playing Ben Davies, then Joe Rodon's on the bench, Davinson yeah. Sanchez is around, or play a back four. Like, mm. you don't have to, like, you know, there isn't, you don't have to do it that way. It's, it's a weird thing, and... You know, what Conte clearly is also getting at and what he said very clearly after loaning out uh, you know, all the players we did at the end of the window is, yeah, but even the new guys that you got in were bad players. So you haven't like you, mm. you, you haven't improved the group. And I, I accept and I understand that, but I just don't think 
it seems to me jarring to think none of the other, none of the the rest of the supposed best managers in the world throw their players under the bus. Yet Conte does, and then Conte's response is to say, "Well, but I'm honest with my players, and if you don't like me being honest with you, then you won't be a good player anyway." Well, not so sure about that because I'm not like that. Just suggests basically like unless you can take being told you're shit at your job repeatedly and getting better at it, then there's no hope for you. And mm. I think there's plenty of examples of professional sportsmen who flourish under different kinds of man management than that. So, you know, I think it's a bit worrying. And I think, you know, I'm going to I'm going to throw Ash under the bus, bus as we uh, as we have this conversation, because I, I feel like Ash and and some of our fan base who are very sort of Conte, you know, enamoured, want to sort of believe like, oh, no, but it's different what Conte's doing than what Mourinho is doing. You know, oh, but Conte's a different person. Conte's a different personality. Well, right now, he's closer to Mourinho in style. And he doesn't have any of the credit or goodwill in the bank that I have with, say, Pochettino, where, where I understood what Pochettino was getting on about and he'd been at the club for six years. Mm. But I don't know. I, I think, for me, it wasn't great from the manager. It created a huge media shitstorm when he didn't need there to be one. And now every single game, everyone's talking about, well, what mood is Antonio Conte in? And that doesn't help. So, I don't know. It, I, I'm, I, wasn't, I wasn't impressed. I was loath to um, to interrupt your little monologue there because this is the problem with two people on a podcast that often think the same way. Uh, I, I am inclined <laughs> to agree with you, so it's not good, it's not good content. But I was just thinking I had a mental image in my mind. Have you ever seen the Dolmio advert? And I don't mean to sound jingoistic, but you know the the Italian woman in the kitchen and she's got this giant grater with the yes, cheese. Yes. I was just imagining Ash in his kitchen with the giant grater, but instead of a block of cheese, it's your face. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he, he, he could break me after, a, after insulting the deity that is, uh, that is Antonio Conte in the mind of Ash, then he, he could be angry at me. But I just, I don't know, I don't think, it I mean, doesn't seem in keeping with what the best managers in the world do. It doesn't seem like a particularly good way of managing that squad. And ultimately... Like it's created a bit of a media shitstorm, and it feels like Conte mm-hmm. is num- the what the number one person Conte is looking out for here is himself, because what yeah. he's doing is he's lining the excuses to say, well, if something goes wrong, the players are so shit and the club is in such an inevitably shit state that it wasn't my fault anyway. And it's like yeah. well, you're being paid six, you're being paid sixteen million quid a year, so it'd be nice if you at least tried <laughs> on the, the, the external to to have a little bit of positivity about you. Mm. Yeah, it's something I'm a bit. I'm slightly torn on because I do agree with you. The the only thing I would say is it, it, it's exactly what you said about different players reacting in different ways. And occasionally there are circumstances where um, a player can be called out by a coach and not necessarily saying like Ben Davis, for example, would suddenly react really well and become a better player. But it may just create the dynamic at the club where it accelerates basically his departure and it works in everybody's best interests. And, you know, he goes and has a decent career at a mid-table Premier League club and Spurs get a better player in. But it was a bit of a mess. It was a bit of a write-off, but there wasn't a lot of time to think about it. And uh, Saturday um, lunchtime, uh, Spurs are away again, uh, this time at Leeds. And Mm. uh, just going back again to the last pod, I think we all predicted that this game would go basically as it did. Um, I have only seen the highlights, I've got to be honest. I was I was trying to watch it live, but life got in the way. Um, 
And obviously, it was pretty bloody easy in the end, wasn't it? It was it was very easy, but it's it's hard to read too much into it because how much were we good and how much are leads in absolute freefall? And 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 I think that Leeds team has actually got some really good players who we would undeniably take, but they've also got some really average players and they made mm. awful transfer business. And as a result, you've got this team that presses without cohesion, without a good holding midfielder to organise everything. And Tottenham just pop the ball around at a good pace with a lot of one touch around the corners in the yeah. most obvious patterns you've ever seen. I, like It was so blatant. It was like, right, stri- their striker presses centre-back, goes to other centre-back, bounces into Winks or Hoiberg, first-time pass around the corner to full-back, and away you go. And that mm. happened just relentlessly. And, and ultimately, we made... We, we were clinical, and we scored good goals, and I, you know we can go through them a little bit, but as a whole... We were good, but we have to recognise that we were playing a team who, you know, as a consequence, have fired their manager. So mm. you have to you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, it's very it was very routine, wasn't it? Something I wanted mm. to um, just get your thoughts on. I mean, we saw it with the first goal, um, which seemed to be used yeah. really, really effectively, and obviously leads. Leeds are so poor at, at defending in shape and not letting teams in behind them. I mean, they, they, it's almost like they don't even bother trying, isn't it? But mm. that felt to me like a little bit of a blueprint for the games like the Burnley game where, OK, Leeds let them play. Uh, Leeds let Spurs play sort of in among them and between the lines where Burnley didn't. But it felt to me like a little bit of a blueprint of how to approach those tougher games. Yeah, I, I actually think it, it's probably the same blueprint. I just think it's applied much more successfully on that day because players, you know, t- uh, you know, were better that day. I think the reality is we have a group of players who, if certain players, if their their ability fluctuates and their performance and technical ability to sort of execute fluctuates you end up with fluctuating results but when it clicks you can totally see what Antonio Conte is trying to do you see the mm. system and Sessegnon to Doherty for that first goal yeah I mean it's wing back to wing back right that's yeah. sort of a yeah. an, an, an Alonso to Victor Moses kind of thing that, that, that you yeah. think of and um, and it is very good and I think actually it was interesting I don't know how you how you found um, not Romero sorry Royale but I, I read online that I think Doherty has played a quarter of the minutes in the Premier League that Royale has, but he's got three times as high a, a, a sort of an expected goals and assists total. And that's interesting. So clearly, when when he's on the pitch, mm. he is clearly breaking into those positions more effectively. Mm. And I wonder is that also just reflect to the fact that Doherty has played wing back for the best part of the last decade, you know, at, at a pretty effective Premier League team. Yeah. And Royale played full back, you know, in Spain. Yeah. He wasn't a bombing on wing back. He was a full back with a wing yeah. in front of him. It's a different style of play, and it needs, it requires a different emphasis of thought, doesn't it? Because you're, mm. it, it's making that quick switch between, and this is this yeah. is like you know, it's where Trent really excels that that instantaneous switch from defence to attack, back to defence mm. if you need to. Um, that some players, uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure you can learn it, but some players just have it and some don't. Um, yeah, but. Certainly what is true, I think, is that if you do it more consistently, 
it's like muscle memory. And like yeah. you say, like the, the role that Doherty played at um, Wolves. <laughs> no, there we go. Got the, got the end. It is a Sunday night, Simply, but my I was like, Christ. I was like, the orange one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the role that he played there is, is that utilising that. And that was in a team that stylistically wasn't the same as Spurs, but but used that device effectively and used it successfully because he was with them, I think, through three, you know, two promotions up into the Premier League, basically using that system. And, uh, you know, I guess the thing for Emerson is, is, is he going to, first of all, get the consistent game time and secondly, take the opportunity when he gets it to be moulded into that player, which is where Conte, I think, is a, a... He's a fascinating figure because he's really frustrating. When he gets a player, even if he doesn't want mm. them, if he's stuck with the player, he will work with them and generally make them better at what he wants them to do. I do think I do think he's a he's a good coach of players in terms of their technical ability and improving them on the training pitch. But yeah, I think it's a it's a challenge where you can see we've got a couple of square pegs, round holes mm. um, in certain areas of the pitch. But as a whole, on the day, I think. Our technical level was high. Um, I know you didn't appreciate you, you didn't watch the whole game, but we were moving the ball around really quickly, one touch, zipping it around, um, finding neat triangles off the centre mids, and against a team as disorganised as Leeds, that mm. was doable, um, which is great. And and equally, yeah, we had we sort of displayed all elements, I guess, of our armoury because you had, you know, the wing back to wing back, you had. Kudoseski, who I'm, I'm really enjoying watching. I think he's going to be a, yeah. a great signing. He, he looks was, super effective. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say Kulisevsky is, uh, he's exciting, isn't he? He's got, he's got that sort of zip about him that, that just makes a player exciting to watch. Um, yeah, and he's, and, and, and he's a great fit, I think, for the system because he loves to operate within the lines. He's not yeah. pure pace. He doesn't want to be stuck out on the touchline. But when he does cut in. You can just see that little bit of quality and intelligence. He looks like he's, you know, he's, he's got some ice in the veins. He, he, he never, <laughs> he never rushes anything, and he's happy to draw you onto him and then release the ball. His, he, you can see he's going to be a very effective player with Son and Kane, and the more they play together, the better that'll be. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing as well that came to mind, you know, not particularly profound thing to say, but I thought it was interesting that. Um, uh, that Kane and, and Son kind of suddenly clicked again in a way that felt like they'd been doing, you know, in the kind of peak Poch era, which, you know, mm. again, caveated with, it was against Leeds, a team that basically, if they hadn't, <laughs> you know, if Leeds hadn't turned up, they would have done as good a job. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, in a, in a fairly low-key season, I think for both of them, it would be fair to say... Mm. Um, that's good, and it's also good for you know it's good for Spurs obviously, but it's also good for England because you know worth bearing in mind that we are what eight months out from a World Cup where we are still very heavily reliant on on a Harry Kane that hasn't been good for the last probably eight to nine months. So um... I, I I would disagree because I think he's been very good for the last month. I think he clearly had a, a poor start of the season, and we we've, we've talked about that. 
to, to the cows came home and yeah. then came back out and went home again. Um, so we can leave that one in the, in, in the, <laughs> the farm. Yeah, let's, but let's I think, just not, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I think Kane, I, think, I thought he was brilliant. Um, his passing range is exceptional. I mean, some of the stuff, you know, he, he nutmegged two players in one go for a no-look pass for Royale, who somehow fucked it to score a great goal. Um, <laughs> his pass for, for Son is immaculate. You know, that's Kevin De Bruyne-esque. He, he is, I definitely think he looks faster and lighter he definitely seems his movements a lot better than it was mm. you know six months ago etc so he clearly buys into what Conte's doing I'm sure he wants to see better players join the club I think if you keep him fit and you keep you know for me it's about keeping the front three the same keep Kuti Romero and Eric Dyer on the pitch together because they're by far and away our best two centre-halves yeah. and then hope that the results fall your way that you end up getting fifth or sixth and if you can mm. do that you 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 leave it there. Um, mm. One one final thought on on Leeds, by the way. Yeah. I looked a little bit at transfer market at their their signings in the last two years since coming up, and mm. I I sort of feel like they are to a certain extent the the bottom half of the table equivalents of us, where you look at the signings they've made and they've been so poor that actually. <laughs> It, it's almost like you're fighting against, you know, you're sort of fighting against the wind to a certain extent. You know, you, you, the, I'll give you, these are some of the players they've signed for a total of about £95 million. Junior Firpo, Dan James, Diego Llorente, Rodrigo, Held Costa. All are awful and none get into their team ahead of any of the lads they had when they were in the championship. Jesus, now, that's, like, did... that, oh, that's like opening a starburst and finding out it's the green one. <laughs> the absolute work. The, the nightmare in the cinema and you, and you get handed the packet even actually just wherever you are when you get handed the packet the top one's the green one and the sly bugger always waits for you to take it so he can go for the nice juicy so red one he can one go for the red one like, underneath yeah. he can always go for the red one but, but and equally look Leeds did bring in Rafinha Jack Harrison although he'd already been on loan so they very much knew his capabilities and Robin mm. Cock who, who is a good player so they, they bought in three lads for about 40 million who have been good, but they bought in six lads for about 90 who have been shit. And that's yeah. where it, it is the... I remember Guardiola being quoted as saying uh, he thinks, you know, the best teams in the world probably have an 80% hit rate in terms of transfer success. And, you know, you look at City and you'd say, yes, they get a lot of things right, but, you know, Mangala was pretty rubbish. <laughs> Benjamin Mendy, for a lot of reasons, of which, some of which are not legal... Um, has not been a successful signing. You've got, you know, not everyone City has signed has been perfect, right? But probably 70, 80% working out is mm. about right. Mm. This is where the challenge for Spurs is, hopefully we sign six players in the summer. Of those six, you can only afford one to not work out. Yeah. And that's got to be the standard of the efficiency which we have to work to. Is I'd rather pay £10 million more to get the right player because it's costing us an absolute fortune getting in the wrong ones. And I think Leeds yes. are, are a great example of, of when you buy, you try and go a tiny bit cheaper and you buy the wrong players. You try and think, oh, well, maybe we can be the final people to make Dan James work. Get over it. He's not a good football player. He's just quick. Yeah. Like, it, we have to not fall into that rabbit hole. Well, just before we get to Middlesbrough, just one thing I want to kind of get your thoughts on. Um, three games where... Spurs have taken six points against City, Burnley and Leeds. The six points didn't come necessarily where we thought they would, but I think realistically most people would have been pleased with six points out of that lot. 
Spurs now uh, five points adrift of fourth with two games in hand, three games adrift, uh, sorry, three points adrift of fifth with two games in hand. Uh, Arsenal obviously above Spurs with a game in hand themselves, so it's it's slightly complicated. But that fifth spot in particular is still, I would say, something that is a realistic prospect. You're thinking of the last three games, and I'm the reason I don't think we'll get fourth or fifth is that you also have to think of the last five, which includes the losses to Southampton and to Wolves. Mm. Now, Fenn said we had to take six points from those two games at the time, and I said that's ambitious. Four would be great because they're good teams and banana skins. If we had gotten four points from that week, and maybe mm. that would mean Wolves had either drawn or lost to us, how close would we then be to fourth in your in your rankings? Well, one point with two games in hand. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, but, I actually but... I I realise as well that I slightly um, misspoke. I was thinking fifth and sixth is uh, is Europa League, but it's not, is it? It's only the fifth spot. Um, I think only sixth fifth, yeah. is still realistic because I think and you know burn the heretic. But at the moment, if I had to put money on it, I'd be having Arsenal in fourth and United in fifth. And I think Spurs will finish above West Ham in sixth. But chasing I'm down those two is going to be tough. I, I'm terrified at the prospect that actually Wolves sneak sixth. We finish seventh. And that means we're in the fucking Europa Conference League again. <laughs> Which point uh, I might give up podcasting. I might just decide about enough. Um, well, speaking we of cup competitions, F- yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the FA Cup. At least that's something which could be fun. Yeah, this is another um, uh, another interesting one, isn't it? It's another Tuesday night game. It's the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Um, not by any means the worst draw Spurs could have got. I mean, could have drawn City. Um, mm-hmm. But Middlesbrough away... I've been thinking about what to say about this game. I've got to be honest, I haven't watched enough of Middlesbrough over the last few years to know a great deal about them. But what I do know, uh, from the game that I watched against from them against United, um, and the fact that it's Middlesbrough and they always have the same style of play and players, mm. is that they are another of those teams that are very, very well drilled, will stick to banks of four. They're managed by Chris Wilder, who is a wily old bugger. Um, and as we saw, they they did United, which, you know, a lot of teams can do, but I would I would posit that United are on a par with Spurs. Um, it's not going to be an easy one, this one. And I wouldn't be surprised if on Tuesday night it's a another example of a a game that will probably end up being more uncomfortable than it ought to be. I'd agree with that because we make a lot of things more uncomfortable than they ought to be. Um, <laughs> but I think we'll get through it. I, I fully agree. Mm. You know, Chris Wilder, smart man, good manager, knows knows his way around uh, how to make a team difficult to break down. You know, Sheffield were an absolute bloody nightmare to play against, mm. I always thought. Um, and yeah, Middlesbrough, look, they've got no exceptional talent, um, but they're on a bit of a cup run. So you never know how that's going to play out. I, I just think that if you're Conte, a lot lies on what lineup he puts out. Um, and for me, if he puts out the strongest team he can and we win, 
correct me if I'm wrong, we'd be in the quarterfinals. Um, semis, wouldn't it? Is it semi-finals? No, sorry, no, 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 you're right. It, it would quarters. be the quarters after. It would be the quarters. This yeah. is the round of 16. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, that, if, yeah. It, as soon as you get into the quarters, I think this is the kind of moment where that might end up being your best roll of the dice for the season. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that for me is a, is a question. It's, a, it's something worthwhile where I wonder if we, we should start paying attention to the FA Cup if we win this game. If we win this game suddenly, it, it gets interesting. See, if it was me, I would be playing full strength team anyway because it's the only prospect of silverware. Yeah. Um, okay, there's been a lot of games recently, but you're right, Spurs should beat Middlesbrough not to I don't mean to contradict myself I think Spurs will get through this game I just think it will be hard work um and there's a six-day gap then until um the next Premier League game against Everton so I think you know bearing in mind that not in Europe anymore there's no reason really not to play a decent team in this one and just play it safe and Frankly, if it all goes well, then you can be three 0 up inside twenty five minutes and take people off at half time, can't you? It, it's yeah. just you, think, know, you don't need to hamstring yourself to me, unnecessarily. It feels to me like if it's our best chance at a cup, and you know Conte can set up teams to be very difficult. And and the one thing I think the City game will prove against the biggest teams is that you know we should have beaten Liverpool under Conte. Mm-hmm. You know that two all draw, we had the better chance that game. Um, admittedly, Kane probably should have been sent off, but 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 we you know, we're <laughs> looking at the big picture. Um, you know, City we've just beaten, and he clearly has a recipe for that. You look at it and you say we would actually be a bit of a not a banana skin ourselves, but other top teams aren't going to be looking at us thinking I fancy that. And a couple of the big ones are already out. You know, United are out, Arsenal are yeah. out. So for me, there's a lot of logic in play your best team, hope we win, and then we go from there. Score prediction? Uh, 3-1 Middlesbrough. Christ. Sorry, no, I'm going to say that again. That was completely wrong. <laughs> uh, what I mean is 3-1 Tottenham. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm just going to go with a simple old 1-0 Spurs. Um, one quick question uh, before we go. Uh, Coysmaster2000 says, how great was it to see both of Gary Doherty's kids Matt and Dayan get on the score sheet yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kudaseski does look like the like the least uh, the least Swedish Swedish person I've ever seen in my life. Like, he, do you know what I mean? Like, he's an interesting looking guy. We can say that. <laughs> well, uh, fun fact: Gary Doherty actually has a song about him, uh, written about him, which is interesting. I feel like if a Spurs current Spurs player had a song written about him, it would probably be Hugo Lloris and it would feature in a sort of arty French noir film. Um, but I think that's that's enough for today. We've talked enough bollocks for one day. Um, thanks for listening. Um, have a look for us on socials. Usual caveat, don't just search for cock and ball unless you're into that kind of thing. And uh, see you next time. <laughs>